So we're up to episode 11 of the Game Alone's podcast and on today's episode I'm joined by Jay Howard. Now for those of you that don't know Jay, he is an author, he is a co-host of the Partners in Property um, London networking event and he's also widely regarded as one of the leading auction uh, experts in the country. He buys and sells property at auction along with his business partner Piot. Um, and on today's episode, he goes into a lot of detail about auctions, but he actually surprised me with a few stories of his first purchase. Um, and I won't ruin it by going into any detail, but absolutely fascinating. Had no idea some of the troubles that he went through with his first ever property that he purchased. And he also actually goes into detail about the logistics of putting together the book before the hammer falls. Um, some fascinating insight there, especially talking about actually trying to get physical copies of his book to the to the, the launch party, which um, again, absolutely incredible stories and um, really, really happy that Jay came on and shared these with you. So um, without any more delay, here's my interview with Jay Howard. And today on the Game Alone's podcast, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Jay Howard. Um, Jay is the, uh, well, he's the co-host of Partners in Property in London. He's, a, he's an author, um, co-author as well, um, writing uh, Before the Hammer Falls, and, and also um, has a, a new company um, this year, Auction House UK. So, Jay, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us on, on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Sam. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Look, Jay, um, obviously I know quite a lot about you because we've known each other for a while, but just for, for, the, um, for our listeners, um, tell us a little bit about you, about your history, um, and obviously a little bit about Auction House UK. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, I, I came from a, a property family, um, so uh, I used to work uh, holidays, summer holidays and things like that with my, uh, with my uncle, who uh, was a property developer. Um, that's pretty much where it started. I then did my two weeks work experience uh, in high school with uh, a little known company called Besto Eves, <laughs> um, just doing viewings and, and um, uh, canvassing and things like that, all the standard stuff and really got a flavor for it. Uh, and then when I um, went to university the second time when I was 17, um, I was looking at ways to make extra money. So then I did um, uh, viewings for a local estate agent um, uh, for Saturdays and Sundays um, and then just kind of built up hours and time that I'd done there. Um, I'd first invested in property in the, in the same year, um, had had a major loss in the family and was looking after my younger um, uh, disabled brother at the time and knew that uh, the money that we had wouldn't last long. So I invested. Um, that was the first auction I ever went to. Uh, I won the property. It was a commercial property in West Sussex. Um, it blew up, uh, which is uh, one of the main parts of any story that I tell. Um, mm. wow. uh, and then um, I did my law degree. Um, I was working as a property consultant for uh, about seven years, um, dealing with about 3.3 billion pounds worth of um, real property assets um, worldwide almost um so definitely the uk europe um south and, and central america um and then uh, there was a lot of changes to the market 2008 um i then left employment and started uh, trading full-time 
um, and did that all the way up until about 2012 when I went into financial services. Um, hated it. <laughs> um, it was a very, very, yeah, it was a very, very corporate background, um, and I, I like to think of myself as a very individual individual. Um, so it didn't fit me at all. Um, and then uh, a family friend said, "Our oh, uh, friend's son owns uh, owns an auction company, and they may be looking for some help. Uh, I can give them your CV." I thought, "Okay." I'll been buying and selling auction for for years it's it's worthwhile seeing the other side of the fence so i started working for auction house london um and i was i was there for for six years started at the very very bottom of the company almost like the tea caddy person um but but not not quite um and then got all the way up to auction manager which was probably the highest you can go without being uh, an actual director of the company so um uh, I kind of grew quite a lot in that company and, and they have that kind of growth approach to, to what you're doing. So it was, it was always, um, it was always a very positive move. Um, I left there recently in February and I'm now the business uh, development um, manager for Auction House UK, which is the holding company above, uh, not holding company, it's the franchise company above Auction House London and, and about 30 other other auctioneers uh, nationwide. Um, made the move primarily because um, got the baby now. Um, yeah, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, and I want to spend more time uh, with her. I don't really want to miss her growth or her development. Um, so uh, the, the, the role with Auction House UK enables me to um, work remotely uh, and on a part-time basis. Um, I'm also doing a lot more work with PR. You know, mm -hmm. we didn't just stop at writing the book. We've done a couple of investments together. Um, and we, we've started um, Your Property Auctions, which is a like an auction consultancy service. Um, so we help people. Um, we do like an enhanced sale process where... If you're looking to sell at auction, you, you don't feel like you have the skills or the time to manage that process, then we step in at no cost to you and, and we manage that process. Um, and likewise, uh, we help people with buyer due diligence and we do a basic and enhanced package. We do a couple of other things like auction day experiences, making people comfortable with the room, therefore making them comfortable to bid preparing them to win um so we're doing quite a few things mm. but um that's the stuff that's really occupying my mind at the moment yeah I, there's a few things obviously that I'm, I'm really keen to talk to you about you know you, you yourself and piot really have positioned yourself as the auction um i suppose experts um, in the property world but there's one little thing little little bit towards the beginning of that that you mentioned you said your first property blew up are we talking yeah. literally blew up or are we talking like, like gas canisters? Do you not know this story, Sam? No, I don't, I'm. Oh no! I, I, I've, I mean, me and you. I mean, how many conversations have we had? And this has never come up. I'm, I'm intrigued by this. This is painful. <laughs> um, I am sorry if I'm dragging up old, horrible old memories. No, you say dragging up, but it's the start of all of my exit strategies talk. It's the reason why I created. I could talk about multiple exit strategies. Always have a plan B, C, D, F, and G. Yeah. Because of this specific property, so. At the time, I was um, I was staying with my with my uncle once my mother had passed away, and he was like, "Look, you've, you've sold the house. 
um, I was working two jobs and going to university, so a weekend job and an evening job. Um, and I was running out of capacity for pretty much everything goes, we need to invest this money for you now, uh, for you and your brother Ross, before it, it falls apart. Mm-hmm. Or before you fall apart, like one of them is going to happen. It's, just, it's a case of which one tips over first. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was probably my first mentor. I never mentioned him by name because we don't speak anymore, but he, you know, kudos to the man he was he was definitely my first mentor um and he said you know people always need two things in life they always need somewhere to live um and they always need somewhere to die so um the first property i ever bought was a funeral director's home <laughs> wow okay <laughs> so, uh, it was the first a it's it's a triple threat it's completely rare to be buying property a at 17 mm-hmm. oh, where's my hand there a at 17 be at auction and see commercial, right? That's, those are three things you don't, maybe one, but not all three. That's called jumping in random. the deep end, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it ended up being a real deep end. So he said, look, let's go through, let's go through the deals that you're looking at. So we picked up the auction catalog and I was going through it and I said, well, I like this one. And he was going through it. He goes, oh no, you've got to think about how, how the commercial tenant's going to pay, how long they're able to stay there what's their trade like. So really taught me the basics of due diligence for commercial property. And I found this funeral director's home. I'll, I'll leave it nameless. Found this funeral director's home. And um, I said, look, this is the one I want to go for. You know, of all the ones I've narrowed down, it's it's got to be this one. He said, so tell me the rationale why. Well, it was High Street. It had some upper parts that they were using for storage of stock. So, um, coffins and urns and all that other macabre kind of stuff Mm. um but uh they had their own um cremation oven on site i thought wow they they don't have to go to a crematorium they you know they've got everything built in in house you know handle service front to back that's got to be a really big sell point for them and really good point for their kind of their ability to to maintain manage and grow their business i thought i'm sold i'm buying this remember the exact figures because i've kind of hidden a lot of the this story from from my mind it helps me sleep at night but it must have been around 60 to 65 thousand pounds it was producing about 14 15 percent and i bought it pure cash um i don't in entirely um uh, in its entirety for about 18 months but about halfway through the journey with that property I get a phone call from the tenant saying, uh, just so you know, um, we're going to have to put you on notice and your insurers on notice, but the whole back end of the building um, blew up yesterday. I said, what? Pit what? Just what? Say that again? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I said, so, you know, I was shocked. And he goes, oh, yeah, so, you know, um, we have these six, um, at the time they had a six canister set up this cremation oven because the temperatures they have to get to are, are extreme and basically at the time the, the canisters were connected to the main oven by this thick plastic uh, piping anyway it, it, what what turns out is um that the piping had frayed over a period of time whether it was i think it was kinked and it had just worn through and um, they have to test the ovens and the fires and the triggers and all that stuff every like periodically, like once or twice a week, if they're not if they're not if they're not firing something up in there. 
Um, so they test it, they turn it on, it then backfires down and the canister goes through the ceiling, through the roof and into the next door neighbour's roof. So I'm, I'm 17 at this stage. This is my first property transaction, dealing with the loss of a parent, uh, looking after a younger disabled mother. And the first property I ever have blows up. Now, if, if you're looking at it objectively, um, at, at, you know, rationally as an adult now, you know that, you know, the tenant has, you know, insurance for, for all of their stock and the internal fabric of the building. You've got insurance for the external fabric of the building. Life is going to go on. But I think I spent about three or four days in a dark room rocking myself backwards, to, back and forward, trying not to uh, you know, find a really high point to jump from. But the truth is that once you speak to the insurance company and they got everything through, I think I had a payment period of about three, four months where nothing was coming in, but I had no debt, so I wasn't losing anything. Um, you know, I picked up a couple of more shifts at the, the, the bar I was working in in the evenings, and you know, I, I did a couple of uh, extra afternoons uh, uh, at the estate agency just trying to do more viewings and just get more money in, and it, I made it work. I then sold the property for about £95,000 uh, about nine months later. Um, the roof clearly being in far better condition than it was before, thanks to the insurance company. So I had no exit strategy from that property in, 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 the, in, in the off chance that it would blow up. Uh, and in fairness, my exit strategies at the moment don't include a property blowing up, but they do include changes to markets, tenant not being able to pay, all of these other things. So, um, yeah, that's the story of, of the first property I ever bought. Wow. I, I would imagine you're probably in a very small minority that have had to deal with something like that on their first ever ever property. So that shouldn't be a story to sort of dissuade people from getting into property if they're listening to this and they haven't, you know, they're just at the very, very beginning. It's uh, that isn't the norm. <laughs> so uh, no, but I mean, I, I think I've always had the propensity to just take responsibility. Yeah. I could have, I could have blamed the tenant. I could have blamed safety procedures for changing gas canisters in a crematorium. I could have, I could have blamed all of that stuff, but actually to to solve the problem to fix it, I had to take the responsibility myself. Not the blame, just the responsibility of fixing it. And I think a lot of people that start out in property or make mistakes or come up against those kind of issues, there's always the desire to find someone external to yourself to blame. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that causes more harm than good for them in terms of them wanting to stay in property and grow, grow, grow their property journey. Um, but also it, it kind of means that you're almost de-skilling yourself by not taking the responsibility because you don't learn new things. You don't solve problems. You don't experience. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm very much on board with that. And uh, for those of you that, that have listened to this uh, listen to me on various different channels and, and listen to any talks I've done I talk quite a lot about exactly that I'm a great believer in that uh, if you take ownership of something you take responsibility you you then take the control as well yeah. um, and, a, and a sales manager quite a long time ago um, again remains nameless because uh you know i don't want to embarrass her but um, she, she was an amazing sales manager and she said to me I, I was i was at a point in my career where i was coming up with excuses for a lot of stuff um you know i hadn't done enough sales or i hadn't you know i hadn't closed enough mortgages or wh whatever it had been and um and i was always blaming other people and she said to me she said you can't you know the the event itself is never going to change that is a fixed point 
but if you look at it as a as a math a math sum you know you've got the the event and you've got the outcome well the only thing that can change the outcome is your response to that event and so if you you know event plus response equals outcome and it stayed with me because now if you actually then look at things like that and you think well if i have a negative um response to the event then the outcome is going to be much much worse i can't yeah. change the event so i'm not going to blame other people for it. i'm not going to going to you know waste my time doing that i'll take ownership i'll have an amazing um, response to it and the outcome will be the absolute best it possibly can be so i think that's such a great lesson that to be honest that's just a business lesson i don't necessarily think that's just to do with property or, or what i do in terms of mortgages and, and lending it's just in general if you take ownership you 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 take control and as you say you you learn then you learn from those mistakes and you become better and you and as maybe maybe this might be the wrong terminology, but you, you may well see that as a blessing in disguise right now, Jay, that, that you, you learned quite early doors that you needed multiple exit strategies. You, you know, you needed to take responsibility. You did a good job of sorting that mess out and, and we're, we're better off for it. Right. Well, I mean, I, I've, you know, I, I guess there's a lot of people out there, but I've faced a fair bit of adversity in, in business, in property, in life, in, in everything. I get like, like a lot of us do. Right. And I think, I could sit down, I could become bitter about it, or I could sit down, I could be negative about it, and I could sit down, I could do this about it. But actually, at the end of the day, it's it's, it's what's made me who I am. And uh, I think I'm pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I like me. Um, I agree with you. I think you're awesome too, Jay. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, you, these things, they, they don't create you, but they make you. Mm. Um, and it's your ability to handle those things and, and, and you set the terms on how that makes you going forward. Um, so yeah, but no, I completely get, I completely get your, uh, your, your, your sales manager's um, point there. Yeah. Cause once you have the, the start and you're looking at the outcome, you can add, subtract, divide, multiply, you can, whatever the, the, the options are, are, you know, endless really. So, um, as long as you have the mindset for it. Absolutely. And I think that comes down to, I, I speak to a lot of, um, obviously you do mentorships yourself and, and you, you help people. And obviously we um, work together on some of your seminars and workshops that you do. Um, so you're very used to dealing with, you know, people that are relatively new to this market as am I. And, you know, one thing I'm always surprised about is for me, there tends to be two types of people. And I don't know if you, you'll agree with this, but you do get those that are, you know, they want to go all in. They're willing to do whatever work is necessary. They don't like to come up with excuses um, and they get their head down. They listen to advice and they work. And then you, you tend to get the other side where they feel as though that if they pay some money for something, that, that everything should be handed to them on a silver platter. And if something goes wrong, they, they can't wait to find somebody else to blame for that situation. And ultimately, they never get ahead because they're, you know, they're never willing to just say, actually, this is going to be quite hard. You know, we're going to, we're going to see setback after setback. And it's, you know, it's those in our industry, as we know, that come through those setbacks and, and continually strive forward that actually end up being successful. And I've got certainly got clients that would fit into both of those categories. And I know which ones of those in two, three, four, five years time, I'm going to look back on and go, yeah, they've really made a success of, of, of what they've done. Yeah, I mean, you, you raise those. Those are obviously that that highlights a massive dichotomy in terms of like new entrants into the market. I mean, if you were going back four or five years ago, there was a massive onslaught of um, finan financial professionals. So, like 
big people at JP Morgan Chase and other companies like that who had been in financial services and financial industry probably since they left university. You know, 15, 20 years experience doing that. And they all jumped in and goes, right, I'm now going to be a property developer. I'm now going to be a property investor. And there was, I mean, just using that class of person, uh, just to highlight the point is you then had two types of people in that. Uh, and this, I think, kind of highlights it nicely, is you had those who technically were able to take the numbers and either understand and make it work or not. You then had the people who were who would understand that it's relationships in this business, not just numbers, and make that work. But you never had the ones that were able to cross both of those barriers, right? Uh, and in your example, like you say, like the first group who would just like they'll get down and they will work. They'll ask the right questions. They're very very active. They're doing all these different types of things. They put the effort in, and when they make a mistake, they fix it. Right? Because they've they've gone through the trenches, they've gone through that process, they've gone through that little battle, and it's personal for them. And then, you, like you say, you have those who are just like, well, you know, I want I want to find a sourcer who's going to source me a property. And what are you going to do with that sourced property? Mm. You're just going to take it for gratis, like, oh, this is everything they've said. This must all be, not not that sources don't get information correct or true, but they, the numbers they provide are based on generalisms right they're, they're based on um you know this is a pound per square foot for this area this is that this they don't take into consideration market changes none of them sources in in, in general specifically are developers so that they are um so that they're, they're um uh, uh, words gone straight out of my head um they, they don't they don't do gdvs correctly and you, you see that a lot a lot of people don't realize the amount of um things you have to take into consideration when you're doing a development, no matter how big or how small you start seeing these things. Wow. Well, you're always going to have someone to blame. If you, if you, if you're, if you're not doing it yourself. Um, and that, that's a massive contrast that you find in the market. And there are some people out there at the moment uh, who, uh, and you see it on Facebook, they're talking about, oh, I had this project. This is what's happened to it. It's all gone downhill. Um, you know, there was a fire, then it flooded. Then I found out someone was stealing on site. Then I did this, I did that, I did all these. But the resilience of people like that is I'm just going to fix it all. And in the end, it's going to be a finished product. That's going to be amazing. Absolutely. And there are other people that, yeah. And then there are other people who are like, um, okay, so who do I, who do I put the class action to? Who do I report to this vote? No, 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 no. It's, it's done. It's done. All of the other stuff is ancillary. Just fix it. Yeah. Um, do you know, it's funny you say that, actually, but I think it was somebody within the Partners in Property um, sort of community that said, if you ever see somebody on Facebook moaning about the fact that their JV partner hasn't quite, you know, done their, their bit or their builder has let them down or, or, or whatever it might be, those are definitely the people to stay clear of because they are the kinds of people, the, the fact that they're willing to go public with, with that and, and their blame just shows that they are probably people to be to steer clear of because ultimately uh, at some stage they're going to blame you for something when it might be their responsibility i mean both, both of those points you raised is just poor relationship management mm -hmm. um and you know 
it, it's it is all about the people you know I'm, I'm a fairly technical minded person you know in terms of the things that i know and what i'm able to do and things like that but i i have to really i really struggle with relationship management it's one of the things i put the most effort into because i know it's, it's a weak point for me it's one of the things one of the main reasons why i probably haven't done a full-blown development yet as a developer you are on mass a relationship manager you whether you've got a project manager or not you are making sure that you've got quotes from this person or you know this places at this point or all these things are coming in at the right time that's not my strength i know that's not my strength but i put a lot of effort into making sure i'm engaging making sure i'm talking to people making sure i'm out there mm-hmm. and those aren't easy things those those things don't come easy to me at all like public speaking that does not come easy to me <laughs> well, do you know what though? It's, it's funny you say that because actually, you know, obviously Piot has been running the Partners in Property London meeting for a, a, quite a number of months now, probably coming up to a year, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and because the two of you work so well together, you've recently come on board to share those responsibilities. But it, it, you're, you're a testament to the fact that actually if you do work on something that you're not or you don't view yourself as being particularly good, good at, you can overcome it because, you know, you and Piot, you stand in front of on a stage in front of people all day at those meetings and you wouldn't know that you have any or you've had ever had any worries about that kind of thing so I think that just goes to show that no matter what it is you know you can overcome those kinds of issues and and as I said I, I wouldn't even have known that that was a, a problem you feel like you've ever faced so well done Appreciate that, Sam. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no worries no worries well we'll be sure to, to to link all the stuff to do with partners in property in the show notes to this because it is such a fantastic event that you you guys put on um in London so um, we'll, be, we'll be sure to do that but obviously you and, and obviously with Piot as well um, are very well known, as I said, on the circuit, on the on the auction side of things. Um, you mentioned you got into auctions pretty much as in, in terms of your, your first property. Was that kind of a, a then a mainstay of everything that you've done since property wise? Or is it something you've come back to more recently? Um, because obviously, as, as I said, auction really is is one of your big strategies, both sales and and uh, and buying, right? Yeah, yeah. So after the first property that I bought, um, I made the mistake of staying away from auctions for about for about six years. Um, I did what I tell most people not to do these days, which is I got my fingers burnt. Okay, I fixed the problem. I sold everything. I, I made profit on the sale, but then I kind of tarnished auctions with this. Uh, you, and the auction had nothing to do with the building exploding, right? But I kind of, uh, oh, you bought that from auction. It was always going to go wrong. There's always problems. This, that, and the other. And I, people got into my head, right? And that that happens a lot, especially I was young and impressionable and all that kind of stuff. It's a good excuse, Jay. It's all, you know. Um, but um, basically, what I did was um, I, I then. I was buying on behalf of myself and clients um, for those six years, either as as an employed investment consultant or just doing my own trading. Um, And I didn't really go near the auctions again. Um, It it took me, yeah, it took me to about 2008 to start buying auctions again. So the reason, sorry, Go on, I interrupted you there. That's fine. So the, I, I, I started a property career at, at, in 2002. That was really my first purchase. Um, and um, by 2008, the market had, had hit so hard. Um, it's the only time I've seen an all sops results dip below 70%. I thought, right, 
I've I've got to, I've got to, I've just got to jump into it. Um, convincing the clients who were liquid at the time to jump in with me that was the hard part. But pretty much from 2008 to now, yeah, trading almost yeah. constantly. Because yeah. a lot of people don't realise. I think when, when they when they think of of auction. Um, you know, unfortunately, most people think of things like homes under the hammer and they just see the auction house as a place to buy property. But actually, for those in the know and, and you know, you, you're as, as the you know, I've read the book and, and as you as you go into detail in the book, you know, there is a, there's a lot of theory in there. Um, and, and actually, if you can get all of everything right, you can really use auction houses as a, as a trading um, mechanism, really. Um, so it's it's just as useful to sell uh, as to as to buy. Yeah, I mean, you it's you know there are people out there who, whether they came from a training course or they're one of the main people who 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 provides education at these massive training companies or whatever, that always talk about having really good relationships with local agents. Right, that's a really big thing. Um, I, I'm I I don't invest in one particular area, so and I never I never wanted to. Uh, I never wanted all my eggs in that one basket geographically. Um, so I thought, okay, well, what else, where else do I go? What else do I do? And there's so many auction companies, a, that are regional that, that offer properties within a defined location. And then you've got the London ones, which are massively regional and a lot of others. And you now got the online companies, which don't need to be domiciled anywhere. They can sell properties anywhere. Um, and I thought, well, that seems like the place for me to find properties because I'm never going to create, manage and maintain relationships in 50 different areas with 150 different agents. It's, it's never, not, not with me by myself. So I started looking at auctions um, originally to, to buy because actually after a period of time, I realized how much of a good buy that, that funeral director's home was. And I thought, well, I, I can replicate, you know, create a cookie, cookie cutter kind of, yeah. Um, approach to it and um, it was doing really very well uh, and then I bought a property and things were going okay but I I didn't have faith in the, the market at the time and I thought well before things start moving too quickly let me sell uh, and I was talking to a couple of agents and um, and I it just it, it didn't sound right to me so i put it at auction and it sold so well <laughs> like it, it i thought the agents were blowing smoke up my ass saying oh we can get you this for it and we can get you that for it and i thought oh, okay that sounds sounds too good to be true i don't really want to waste the time with all the marketing this that, and the other and the auction company said look what did you buy it at? And I said this, and they, well, what kind of, what do you need as a return and this, that, and the other? And I said, well, that, and they go, well, we think it's this. And would you be have to go ahead with that as a, like this point as an, as an absolute minimum? I thought, well, for a quick sell, there's nothing actually wrong with the property. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll take it. I think it sold for about 50,000 pounds above the reserve. Wow. Which was massive. Cause that's, that was like a quarter of the, the value <laughs> of the property. So I was like, hold on, I'm, I've been doing this for a while now. I've clearly missed a trick. So um, at that time I was doing deal packaging. Um, so I was um, buying a property with investor A. Um, I was then solving legal issues or adding value and then selling it to investor B. Um, and I was that, that was taking a raw asset 
packaging it up, making it complete, a ready-to-go asset, and giving it to someone who I knew wanted that kind of um, that that class of asset, that kind of return, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I thought, well, sometimes you see the fall-through rate in your investor B. Like investor A was always there because I invested in very very tricky properties that you you kind of and I had the experience to handle them. And once you solve the legal issues, you can magnify that value 10 times because now it becomes mortgageable. The, the, the pool of buyers opens up. So you have a small supply, but once you fix the problems, there's massive demand. So it was a perfect, perfect model. Um, and I thought, well, investor B sometimes doesn't perform. So what do I do? So I just started selling everything at auction. <laughs> I was selling like it. And the worst, the thing was then investor A or multitudes of investors A were all like, why don't you just, we'll buy it for you, fix it up. You know, I, I never did refurbs or anything like just fix the legal issue or add the value or make it easy for someone to add the value and then just trade it straight into the auction. I was like, okay. So at this point I was physically sourceable packaging the properties i was normally most of the time direct to vendor sometimes i was buying out of smaller auctioneers um fixing the problems and selling them into bigger auction rooms so it was finding those kind of dynamics um and really enjoyed that for a long period of time and then i think 2014 came along and the market just spiked i think between 2009 to 2012 2013 oh, i was killing it having such a great time then 2014 some confidence came back in the market and just things were going crazy so i wasn't able to buy well enough out of the auction but i'm still selling well enough into the auction um, to keep me going um but i was i then started buying so what i was doing was i was going to um uh basically uh commercial and residential estate agents um, seeing which stock they had unsold on on their books for more than mm -hmm. nine or 12 months and I, I was putting in low ball offers securing maybe one in seven or one in ten or something like that and then selling them in the auction um, and doing quite well that way um, and I did that for some time uh, and then I started working for an auction company which just completely put everything on its head um, I stopped, um, I stopped selling into auction more, but I was still buying out of auction. And I was doing that with a couple of um, uh, university friends for a while. Uh, and, and then yeah, just from, from historic clients, yeah, yeah, just having a great time with it all. I suppose for, for, for maybe those that are a little bit sort of uninitiated, um, some might say, you, obviously you mentioned there that you'd be, going in and, and putting these low ball offers in uh, with, with agents that with properties that have been just sitting on the market, not doing anything for, for a large period of time. What, what, why would those properties sell at auction and make you a profit? Uh, what, you know, why, why weren't those properties selling through one very traditional method of selling properties, the estate agents, but would actually sell during an auction? Well, because, it, and this is a very biased opinion, uh, and apologies to any estate agents or, or letting agents that are, are fans or followers, um, <laughs> but it's a broken model. It doesn't work. And you can tell it doesn't work because you, uh, and unless you're in, unless you're in an upward transitioning market where, I don't know, 2004 to 2006, where the market was insane, 
where you can buy a property one month for 300 and three months later it's worth 390 and you've done nothing to it apart from you probably by the time you completed you made that 90,000 and nothing else unless you're in that kind of market a state agency doesn't work so what what um why do you think it's it's broken and what would they need to do to to change change that do you think okay um i think it's broken because they start the the value process wrong in terms of they don't value the property in terms of what the property is worth they value the property in terms of what they feel the vendor wants or what they feel they can win the instruction at very important that it's all about getting the instruction estate agents love a big pretty window filled with lots of properties on the market that are going nowhere Mm -hmm. Um, and you see it a lot and there's nothing wrong with that i would say if you had an estate agency um, with an auctioneer's arm you would understand this like so much better and there's a lot of there's a lot of estate agents that I have an auction service the speed at which you can transact at auction is unbelievable because you start at the other end of the market you say this has got to be the absolute this in terms of value this is the absolute minimum let's put it in here the market will decide mm-hmm. and the same thing with estate agents actually the market does decide because if the property's left on the market for 12 months with no offers or no interest it's not worth that money yeah you've got an instruction you've, you've spent all that time you know your sales manager is happy you've gone out and you've you put another property on the books but you know come the people walking around the high street on a saturday wanting to look through someone's airing cupboard at the weekend mm-hmm. that's all they want they're they're, they're, they're door knockers tire kickers type people that no one's transacting with you at that level right yeah you know, it's it's, um, it's funny you just just to quickly jump in because my, my first ever job uh, my proper job was actually working at foxton's um many many moons ago I was who, who set the market to the contra yeah. like you only put a property in 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 foxton's because they're going to put it 20 percent above market value and yeah. their marketing is phenomenal and they hired very attractive people well done sam they hired very attractive <laughs> people and they would sell it right their model was phenomenal and i was actually going to say there are very there are very few exceptions to that the statement i had made mm-hmm. but yeah absolutely but you know it's funny because we were tasked with and this this goes this really uh, makes your point really valid about about the, the methodology at we were simply tasked with just getting as many people as we possibly could to agree to sell us their property and and the the, the mantra the, the 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 thought process behind it was the more properties we've got to sell the more properties we'll sell because even if so if you had 100 properties to sell and you sold 50 you're still doing better than if you had 50 to sell and sold 25 absolutely and there, there's there's no like league board or table that says oh foxton's uh, Co- uh coventry this month had 110 instructions and only sold six like it's a horrendous conversion yeah but at auction you are monitored hmm. auction house whatever foxton's and sons took on 130 properties offered 90 sold 60 that's 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 terrible result in terms Mm. of what they started off with and you're measured by that yeah so the auctioneers you know not entirely selfishly but they to 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 
to make sure that the process works and that you're doing what the seller wants you to do, sell their damn property, not, not, not mm -hmm. create fluffy marketing materials and, and every Saturday for nine months have someone traipse them and their grandparents and their great grandchildren down to have a look at another property that they're never going to buy. Yeah. You want the property sold. Um, so I would, I would normally go and look at these, uh, estate agents or commercial agents and say, well, why has this property been on for so long? Then you call up and you ask the same question. Everyone always tells you to ask, what are the motivations of the seller? Yeah. Once you understand that, you then know who to lowball and who not to, because there are some people that just put their property in the market just to test the market. Yeah. And they'll put it in at any level. It's like you say, a, 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 a fox in a shack could turn up to someone's house and the guy's like, yeah, well, I don't really know how badly I want to sell. You know, it's probably only worth 350, but if you put it on at 425 and we get interest and I'll sell it and you're sitting there going, great, I'll put it on because if it happens, it happens. It yeah. won't, it won't. But and if it, it, if it doesn't, then you're, you're actually first in the door to be able yeah. to say, actually, the market is telling us this, we need to, we need to lower the, the price. Yeah. And that's, do you know what, that was the tactic was you'd go in and, um, what you'd always try and do, because you know, when I when I started there, um, I was just on the phones, just hammering the phones, trying to drum up, you know, being a being a professional salesperson, and yeah. um, and one thing that we were always tasked with doing is we needed to, to drum up as many um, visits as possible, people to come around and do a valuation of the property uh, first and foremost, and my my I was tasked with asking them right, how many how many other people have you got ready? To, to come in oh i've got so and so and son down the road i've got these guys and these guys right okay when are they coming in they're coming in monday tuesday and thursday excellent we'll come in on friday so what so then the valuer because they had each office actually had just somebody who just went and valued the properties yeah. usually at the manager or something like that and they'd go in and they would they would ask them what the others had said uh, they'd find out what the highest was and they'd just add a few a few digits onto the end of it that's that's all yeah. that it was that was the sales tactic and it worked incredibly well because as i said then they were first in through the door and then when the market told them it wasn't wasn't working if it if the market did work and they sold it fantastic if they didn't then they were first there to say look the market has actually changed since we came around um these are this is the reason for it and they were great at manipulating data not manipulating but making the data look the way they wanted it to look to help you can them pick any data them. you can pick any data set you like and yeah. represent it in any way you like so you, exactly. the same thing with property when people talk about oh, I've, I've got this deal on facebook and it's you know this roce or roi and this that and the other but you would never judge that same deal that you judge on an roce on an roi because one looks fantastic and one looks abysmal yeah um, but it's the same thing here right yeah but you know as a, as a disclaimer um foxton's do do actually a lot of things really well um, you're right their marketing is incredible you know their, their opening hours probably set the standard for the for the industry to to be open longer because the longer you're open the more chance you actually make of uh, of selling that property at, at that price so i've got to give them kudos where where yeah. it's due i mean not to mention um their tactic of just get on absolutely everything then manage expectations later means that you can go into most boroughs in London and of every 10 boards you see two of theirs right easily because and actually that's the estate agency war how how much can we occupy how much can people see us how much can they want to come and talk to us how much can they sell through us yeah. and it's a self-fulfilling self-fulfilling prophecy at that point it's a yeah. it's when i say it's broken i mean i i prefer a positive sell sell process the process that most estate agents use is a negative sell process we will start here 
then I'll break your expectations down over a period of time. We'll keep reducing the price. We'll keep reducing the price. You start thinking, oh, there's no one interested in my property. My property is not worth Property is probably worth not this, or uh, not this, but this. And they just keep knocking your expectations down below that. But if you start at the auction line, what is the absolute core residual value of the property? It's here. Let the market decide where it goes because mm -hmm. there's no upper limit. Yeah. There's no upper limit to a sale of a property auction. And that's what really kind of pulled me in. So when I go to these estate agents and commercial agents, and I'm like, well, if, if they're desperate to sell, they need to sell, or it's been on there for 12 or 18 months, I'll put in this offer because I know um, if I were to put it into auction and have it marketed correctly, um, and that's a really big point of selling an auction, you can, you, you could, the, the results you can achieve are, are, are unbelievable. Yeah. Do you know, it, it's I, I find it very very fascinating, and um, you know, obviously, I, I came along to your to your workshop and, and presented there, and, and found it um, equally interesting. But one of the things I wanted to obviously ask you as well is um, both yourself and Piot have um, have actually written a book uh, before the Hammer Falls, and I wanted to you know. Funnily enough, I, I mean, I read a lot of property books. I have to say, um, just because I'm mean, I'm interested in it, but. Um, I haven't actually met many people that have written a book in property. So I'm, I'm fascinated to hear sort of the story behind the book and how you and Piotr maybe came up with the idea and maybe your reasons, you know, for, for, for writing it as well. And a, a little bit about the process, because um, just maybe this is just a, a personal thing, but I just find that whole process quite fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So um, Piotr, I'd met Piotr as a client of Auction House London. So Piot was uh, buying and selling properties through Auction House London for, on behalf of himself uh, and for his clients. Um, uh, I think he started running uh, these one day um, auction mastery courses, uh, like 10, 15 people, very much a closed door, closed environment thing. And he said, it would be great if, and I'd started speaking at that point at a couple of events. I had done uh, a PPN at Knightsbridge with, with Matt Sidel. I'd done um, a Midas property group thing with Sam Fongo. I'd, I'd done a couple of um, uh, Baker Streets um, with, with Ranjan Bhattacharya. I'd done, uh, at that point, maybe two or three um, central London property meets with Brendan Quinn as well. So I was just at the beginning of going out there and networking, which was terrifying for me. <laughs> um, and and um, Piotr had obviously seen me around because he, he was at that point far more integrated into the networking scene than I was. And he said, um, it would be great um, to have someone who works for an auction company come along to my one day event and just present to the people in the room. Um, and I thought, wow, okay, yeah, um, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and I think I did it three years in a row. I think the first year uh, it went really very well. And he goes, oh, it'd be great to have you back. I'm trying to do one of these like every year. And I was like, yeah, yeah, just call me, I'll do it. So the first one was like understanding auctions, like how to buy from auction, like it, very elemental, ele elementary kind of stuff. Uh, and people seemed to like it a fair bit. And I got a couple of more speaking gigs and profile started to rise. And then the second two years, I did my, uh, and it, uh, I, I did the same talk, and then I developed my exit strategy talk. And um, Piotr called me up one day and said, um, I've, "I've just spoken to um, one of your directors. It was Jamie Royston, I think he had spoken to. He said, i 'I've I've been thinking for quite some time about writing a, a book, a property book. Um, I just I can't think of 
of anyone that I want to write the book with, who, you know, the, the right kind of knowledge and experience, this, that and the other. Um, I wanted to make sure there was no conflict. So I spoke to Jamie first. Jamie says he's happy for you to write the book. Can we have a chat? I mean, at that point, what Piot didn't know is that I, I kind of, um, I write anyway. So I write short stories, um, normally science fiction, normally terrible. Um, but I find writing... I yeah. I mean, really bad, like like Martian space women with three boobs or whatever. Just like weird stuff. No, I'm I, joking. It's I, it sounds great to me. <laughs> it's a bit of a total recall um, <laughs> reference there for you. Um, but um, no, so normally terrible, but it's something I was quietly passionate about and really enjoyed doing. It's, it's very relaxing, kind of just taking your mind from the real and just going off to complete fantasy land. Um, he said, Piot said, can we, can we meet at the weekend? Uh, I just want to have a chat, see what we can do. So uh, I met up with him um, and got to know Piot a bit better over that call. And he said, look, just have a think about it. Because I, I was like, yeah, I'm interested, but I've never written a bloody book before. I'm, I'm not that guy. Mm. Um, and we kind of, we had the conversation. I think it was maybe late 2017, early 2018. Uh, and I said, look, I don't know what it, it takes to, to write a book. So Piot said, look, I mean, let's 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 just buy some property books that are already out there. Um, just have a look. I mean, I think I'd read a couple, and he obviously had a shelf full of full of property books. So we just spent a, a little while going through those, just seeing if 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 we could, in our minds, make that quality, or or exceed it. Like we. Uh, I try not to do anything unless I, I feel like I'm going to absolutely smash it. And Piot refuses to do anything unless he's going to do it really very well. I mean, you, that's the two sides of Piot you get. I'm, I'm not doing anything because I don't think I can, I can do it well, or I'm just going to do it. And he absolutely destroys it. Right. Yeah. And um, so a bit back and forth, bit back and forth. And I was like, right, well, let, how are we going to make this happen? And um, Piot said, let's, let's do a post on social media each saying that we're going to write a book and it is we're going to release the book in april um 2019 oh bloody hell so at this point it at least you've be... got a uh, you know something oh, yeah. to aim for and we were like yeah you guys have got to keep us you know you, you know you've got to make sure that we're, we're responsible and we're, we we keep to our integrity of what we're saying we, 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 we went in really hard with the kind of we we're, we're going to do this um, but we have no idea how to do it um so i created a um chapter headings right because i thought let's just go through the sell and purchase kind of thing okay. and then let's see what we can talk about that no one else really talks about. So in there, we've got a thing about networking in there. We've got a thing about why, like why property, why invest? What, what's your, what's your motivation? Like at that point, I don't think anyone had really done that apart from the guy who wrote the book. Why? Right? <laughs> um, and um, let's talk about things that no one knows anything about like underwriting and stuff like this. And it, we built this, chapter thing where we had like 12 chapters and three bonus chapters and we were changing names and then once we had the main chapters we broke the chapters down into subheadings like this is before we put any content to paper this was pure skeleton work and then we were sitting there thinking god we're we're we're, we're really getting into the point of being balls deep into writing this book and we haven't got a bloody name for it <laughs> then we went out to social media and we're like right 
these are some of the crap ideas we have for names and they were crap i mean you asked piot he was sitting there just just for the sake of whatever we just put auction guide of property something crap right and um then then we said look whoever comes up with the the name will get a free signed copy of the book once the book comes out right so we had two winners actually so you'll notice that the book is split into two titles the first section is big bold before the hammer falls and then just beneath that is a sub uh, subheading of uh, an insider's guide to auction property success those were those were the two winners from that so uh, andrew brown who is now uh, auctions director and auctioneer at, at stretton's auction and philip malarides who is uh, he does um, a lot of uh, bitcoin and um uh, some other stuff cryptocurrency and and gold and things like that and he came up with the other parts they both came up with these these book names so thought wow this is now really starting to exist mm. um and plot's like well you know, let, let's 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 go beyond like the skeleton of what this looks like and really start like putting in so putting in like how what is the structure of these these chapters going to look like so i went yeah. away and i said um for every subheading it has to have a three of these four kind of common things and I probably got it here somewhere, but I, we printed it off and we restructured every single chapter around uh, a beginning, middle and end, and then top tips and then having someone come in and talk about specific things. So we had people actually provide content for the book. So we had um, a couple of solicitors at Ronald Fletcher Baker do it. We had Manish Kataria put something in there. We had a developer put something in there. Uh, we had an insurance specialist, a finance specialist, as before we knew you, Sam, uh, all putting kind of stuff in there. Um, and it, it really did kind of make it, it became really very real. Anyway, so we, we we then say to ourselves, look, it's it's um it's about February, March, twenty eighteen. We're like, we've just got over a year to put this book together, um, and we had done at this point, we've done none of that stuff. All we were doing was talking about it. It got to about April, May, and I think it was just after one of the auctions where people said, look, let's try and meet on a regular basis and get some of this book down. So by August, bear in mind this has taken us what feels like forever. By August, we had done that. We I put the skeleton plan together, the chapter plan together, the content plan, the whole thing together. Not a single word of the book was written till after August 2018. And the book was coming out in, in April 2019, right? There was just eight months. So we then said to each other, look, let's, um, every Saturday, we will meet at this location, um, which was uh, King's Cross in London. We, you know, we, uh, and we would go to multiple venues. So it's like a Premier Inn where they had Wi-Fi and a little workstation. So hmm. we would work there. Uh, if, if there was space at the uh, the National Library, we would work there. There was a couple of other spaces that would work. Just try and change things up, and we would spend about eight or nine hours every Saturday for four months. Wow! Uh, and then we did. Um, four to five hours every Sunday for four months. And we tried to do at least an hour or two's writing um, a week in the evenings um, for four months. That's how long it took to put all the content down and structured um, for the book. It then took the publisher um, four months, not just to, to for 
there's so much that goes into it. Like we we had no idea. We thought oh, we've written a book. Someone will just put this into print tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Nope. Doesn't happen no, like that. <laughs> doesn't work like that. I'm sure if you were self-publishing, maybe not. But we went through a, a publishing company, White Fox. They were absolutely amazing. Um, like the main guy there, uh, and the woman who was handling our account, just the the value. Uh, so here's the thing: we we wrote the book. Um, and neither one of us, apart from the time and effort that we're putting into it, didn't have the spare capital available to, to print and publish. Um, and for what we were looking to do, the costs were in excess of about £10,000. Um, so we printed just over 5,000 copies of the book. Um, and we had to get really very, very ingenious with how we did things. So we had content providers in the book who were also book sponsors, who actually sponsored the book becoming a real thing and in return for that we, we gave them x number of value and x number of books to hand out for free to their clients and say look we're in here we're doing this and then we we use them as recommended service providers because we were using them beforehand anyway but this was a really good way for their business to get out there so we had raised um a funny thing was we went we went to one meeting with well, i won't say which, which one of the, uh, the 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 book sponsors it was um and we were saying, oh, we, before and we're like, we need to raise this 10,000. And, and we went into this meeting, came out and I said, I think we've got this one. I think these guys, you know, of, of the ones of this service provider, these, these are the guys who see it. They're entrepreneurial. They think outside the box. And they're the ones who will take that book and then just make it work for them. Right. Because they want to they want to get into that auction space in terms of the service that they offer. They want to create a bespoke funnel or channel to get people to use their services for that. So this is a great way for them. Uh, and then about an hour and a half later, they sent an email saying, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll sponsor the book for £5,000. So we, we were, that was meeting number one, conversation number one. So we, we, were, doing, we were doing really, um, uh, really interesting things in a short period of time. So we, we get to a point where the book is written. It's taken us four months. It's, it's now December uh, 2018. Piot then decides to go to India for three weeks uh, in January. Um, and we're still getting like the type font. Um, you know, the book is written in two voices, the auction insider, which is me and the auction pro, which is Piot. And you can, the book is divided up in like this. It's yeah. back and forth, almost conversational. Um, and we wrote it very much like that. Cause a, we hadn't read a book like that previously and B we wanted the book to stand out mm -hmm. and, and be valuable. So we thought that would be a really good way to separate ourselves um from, from everybody else um and and that went really very well uh we 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 got the book finalized first proof second proof final draft final draft and then some we then put out the design of the front cover which is which is our favorite our favorite uh, our favorite um our, sorry not our favorite our famous royal purple which we're we're using everyone kind of sees it and goes oh yeah it's, that's jmpr yeah yeah um so uh, and we we picked those colors deliberately um a because it, it, it's a very strong and bold color and b you, that we went through like three or four water stones and a couple of um standalone bookshops and we were seeing the same colors over and over again and we didn't see one purple book we thought we've got to go purple yeah um so it comes down to the point where um piot piot we were being we were being quoted four pound fifty per print per copy of the book. You then have to take into consideration that Amazon will take a third of the cost of the book anyway. So for fifteen ninety nine, four pound fifty was being taken by the printers, and 
£4.50 was being taken from Amazon, which left £4.50 for us less cost another crap i think we were making about 80 pence per book if we were to buy it if we were to get the books printed at four pound fifty okay. and piot said oh no no i'm doing some research um if anyone hasn't guessed already but piot is polish yes he goes i can get the book printed in poland with like this uv and this special feely thing on the front and you can really good quality stuff this that and the other from from a printer in a place in poland that i don't care how drunk or sober i am i'll never be able to pronounce it or something like that <laughs> anyway uh, and he got it done for like four uh, not one pound fifty wow so i'm like this is unbelievable, right? Like the margin's just gone up. FYI, we're still not making money from the book. If anyone's buying the book, it's not making a difference to my life. It's making a difference to your life. <laughs> so, um, but it, it just, it meant we could print so much more with the money that we had raised, which is what we, what we'd gone out to do anyway. So it's, uh, it's the week before. So we had a launch party, massive launch party. We rented out a hotel in London, about 150 people, um, it started about six and finished about four o'clock in the morning. There was absolute carnage at that thing. Uh, we, we had um, some really heavy hitting property people there. There, there, there was, it was absolute, it got to a point where I left. It was insane. But uh, when we were there, we wanted the books to be available for people to, to buy then and there. Yeah. Anyway, so Piotr had sourced um, uh, someone in, in Poland who has a, uh, a lorry or something like that who would then not all 5,000 copies just 20 boxes or something like that take from Poland and bring to us until we could fix something import uh, something uh, an import which was more stable so um, it's it's like the Friday before I think the party was on a Monday or a Tuesday it was a Friday before and people called me and said look the, the guy the guy isn't responding at all this is Friday I'm like what do you mean? He said, well, he's supposed to be delivering it tomorrow. I've asked for an update, this, that, and the other. I said, have you paid him? He went, yeah, yeah, I paid him. I went, okay. I said, this guy's not turning up. And it turns out a couple of hours later, um, the printing factory called Piot and said, oh, just so you know, your, your, your delivery driver hasn't turned up. Gave it another hour. And then it was panic stations, right? This is two or three days before this big launch of this big book that we created. We, we did all this work and it, it's just going to be stuck in Poland. Um, and he called me up and this is Friday. So he just goes, look, we've got options, but they're limited. He said, how do you feel about driving to Poland <laughs> to, no to, to pick up, to pick up these books? This is Friday. Like I, um, I, I said to him, I said, look, we can do anything. We can make it work. And we, we called up a friend of ours who is, who is a, who is a building professional and who's got access to these massive vans and contracting vans and stuff like this. We said, look, can we get hold of a van? He goes, first of all, tell me what the van is for. Right. <laughs> so I said, well, we may have to drive to Poland and, and, um, and pick up the books he goes oh, okay it'll be a good chance for me to see my parents i'll, I'll drive you there like I'll, I'll, I'll get the van i'll drive you there so we start to form this plan late friday afternoon friday evening of, of saturday morning no if saturday morning literally driving over there and then just like non-stop driving there and driving back we did a route plan we did everything we talked about like where we could stop off and get food where like rest breaks we were swapping driving with the whole thing like in the space of an hour everything had fallen to pieces and the only way to get the book was for us to physically go there and pick the bloody things up um i hung up the phone to Piotr, I called the wife i was like get me my passport i need this i need that you're not going to see me for four days everything's fine i hang up the phone to her i go next door to my directors i'm like i may not be in on monday i might be driving back from poland just so you know i called it on 
and then we, it gets later on. I'm like, I said to put this, there's got to be another way than, than the three of us to spend an entire weekend driving to bloody Schnechner and back again. Like, I, it's got to be a better way. Then I realized that my, my cousin is um, the head sales manager training consultant person for DHL. So I call Russell up and I'm like, um, can you do me a favor? Uh, and he came back with quotes and one of them was 1200 pounds. <laughs> And we all we wanted was like ten boxes. It didn't weigh that much, but he yeah. was going to pull strings and just get them there like next day. And I said, "Look, this is this is not going to happen." And in the end, uh, Piot and and uh, had arranged for uh, someone else to to take the boxes and get them to us. And they arrived at his his apartment it's like five thirty in the morning on a Sunday. Now, if no one knows me that well, but if you do, you know that I'm not a morning person and. <laughs> the ungodliness of 5.30 in the morning is not a good look for me. But there we are with a shopping cart outside Piotr's block of flats, taking these boxes from, from the van up into the lift, into his storage area. And we did like seven or eight trips of that. We then got absolutely blasted on raspberry vodka. Don't ask me why raspberry, but the guy we had with us just, and, and, that, and that was, that was by nine o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Oh and it, I think it, I think it was Tuesday. And then Tuesday, everything was there. <laughs> everything was perfect and nobody knew about it. And that's what we went through just to get the book like here. Um, I think why was I motivated to write the book? Because I used to run the contracts desk at, at the auction. And I've been to quite a few and you hear all these stories on Facebook groups of things that happen. And I always, when, when I'm dealing with a contract at auction, I'm saying, oh, well, yeah, great buy. Like, what are you going to do with this? Or what do you do? And this, that, and the other. And the amount of people that were like, oh, I just bought it. Or, you know, didn't have a plan. Or, uh, and I'd give them the USB stick, the legal pack. So oh, here's the legal pack. And they'd go, what's a legal pack? It used to just, it, like cold sweat. I just had no idea why. Like they just no idea at all why why and then you then you'd see like all these arguments like oh i bought this property auction or the auction house screwed me over no 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 you screwed yourself over but it's yeah. again it's not entirely your fault there's no resources out there for you to know any better like you're, yeah. you're treating it as like just walking into an estate agents and at this point in time that's that's the only that's the only choice you've got um, so it was one of the main reasons why I started speaking at networking events was to just make auctions, not just mainstream, but known and, and understandable because there are so many things that make it different. There are so many points at which you can fall down. There are so many places that can go wrong that, that traditionally you probably won't find with an estate agent, you know, strictly. Um, and then when Piot said, look, you clearly, when you're talking, you just want to make sure people don't make a mistake and are comfortable. How about writing this book and, you know, putting it out there and having it be a source of, of information where, where people can re rely on it. And I thought, well, I'm in. Um, and that's pretty much why I did it. That's, do you know what I, <laughs> off air, <laughs> obviously I said to you, it was kind of a little bit of a, a me question rather than a me thinking about people that are going to listen to it. But do you know what? <laughs> I'm really happy that I asked you that question because that was a, that was a that was an incredible story. Like just you never you don't think about it, do you? I mean, there's a couple of things in there. I mean, number one, I think amazingly, I love the fact that you know maybe without even knowing, doing things like um, collaborating with other people, which you know is is a fantastic thing that everyone should do more of anyway. Um, and and sort of just crowdsourcing the name and the color scheme and and this kind of stuff. It's you know 
people don't again people don't sort of do that enough but i'm just i, I think it's amazing just the, the story of getting getting the books over here <laughs> that's just uh, it just you just have to do it then you that sometimes you just by hook or by crook you just got to get things done less by crook more by hook but you know what i mean i mean we like like i said we we put ourselves out there like we were going to look like absolute idiots if this book wasn't here come that that launch like and we 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 put we'd put ourselves on the line like we were we put ourselves out there to be held accountable for it mm. and actually if we if we didn't do that it was never going to happen yeah. um but you know the the whole idea of doing the book um still rests surely on squarely on Piot's shoulders like he was he was the reason for us doing it mm. and probably because I was I was working full time at at that point, he was the one that was driving a lot of the post completion bits. Like once we completed writing the book, he took control of everything else, like yeah. um, getting it printed, dealing with the copyright editor, dealing with this, dealing with and you know, massive. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened. It just yeah. wouldn't have happened if 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 it wasn't down to PR. Uh, that's just it's it's great to it's a great story of collaboration again of of the fact that sometimes two heads are better than one and a lot yeah. of people try and go into this you know whether it's property business writing a book you know on their own um i'm an only child so i've I've always had that mentality if i can do it on my own and i've had to really fight against similar to how you said about some of the fears and, and issues that you maybe you had you had to fight against my big one has always been accepting help has always been collaborating with other people because I'm just so used to being able to do everything on my own. Um, and I think that's a great story of, um, working with others and actually the, the product at the end, um, you know, happening as a result of collaboration. So thanks so much for sharing that. But look, you know, Jay, we could, we could talk for hours. I thought, I find you a very fascinating individual, as you know. Um, and so I, I could definitely carry on speaking to you for an hours and hours, but I just want to say a, a massive thanks for, for joining me today. And, um, I know I've taken up quite a lot of your time and I know that you're very busy, um, especially given the circumstance at the moment. And I actually quite like the fact that we didn't really talk about the, the C word that's on everyone's lips at the moment. We've just talked about fun, enjoyable topics. So I really do thank you for that. But, um, but Jay, look for, for everyone that's listening, um, if they do want to speak to you, or, or contact you have any questions what's the best way of them doing that oh god i'm i'm everywhere uh, I'm, I'm 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 facebook i'm instagram i'm linkedin you just google me i'm i'm the easiest person to find um uh, you've got the yourpropertyauctions.com where you can you can click on there um uh, and and you know you can send us an email there um you can sign up for the auction newsletter that we're we're releasing weekly um uh, you can do that there. Um, but at the end of the day, really, I mean, we're connected on pretty much all of those platforms anyway. So if, if you can see Sam, you, I'm, I'm, I'm on the friends list somewhere. So I'm very yeah. easy to find. I'll make yeah. sure that we, we link uh, enough ways in the, in the notes so that people can get in touch with you if they want to. And um, yeah, ask you any questions that they, they may have. But um, Jay, look, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on, mate. I really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, stay safe and look forward to catching up soon. Yeah, absolutely. You too. Thanks for having me, Sam. Cheers. So that's it. How good was that? But let me ask you a quick question. Did you enjoy that episode? If you did, please, please, please do go on and write me a review and tell me what you thought on either Apple or Spotify. And if you think someone else might benefit from this, feel free to share this episode across social media. Thanks.